routes do you think Tom Brady's practiced today so far? <laughs> we forgot bet, about the uh, mixed kicks. I bet after his son uh, gave him an awkwardly long kiss, he was oh. like, hey, Dad. Damn. Some of that, uh, some of that catch, Dad. Some of that. What? I just don't want to talk about that kiss ever again. It was just awkward. I, I mean, I don't feel like there's anything no, I don't. wrong. It's just awkward. What was more awkward, the kiss or the drop pass? Oh, uh, that is a good Hey, a, mm. what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Is that right? The Dow's down 786? 789? 795? 812? 812? 824? We got an hour, hour left in trading right now. This God. is uh, 884. It's, it's Mercy. not been great. Mercy. But the Dow, this will be a 1,200-point drop over the course of two days. Now, we have no idea what's going on in terms of the uh, the last hour of trading, but the S&P 500, for example, is off more than 5% from its all-time peak. The, the equity sell-off has continued at this point. The president has been pretty quiet about all this, I'm just saying. Uh, he was in Ohio, or he's still in Ohio right now, in Blue Ash, Ohio, and he's talking about uh, bringing back the made in the USA, and our economy is humming, and... <clears throat> The, the Dow, Dow closed down. down 666 points on Friday. 666. Ooh. And right now it's down nine. Well, uh, in his defense, the market was due for a bit of a correction after the month that it had. Yeah. It um, is weird, though, that there has been plenty of good economic news in the last couple of uh, several days, but that that's not enough to... Uh, to generate some sort of uh, positive motion on this, but it's again, it's now down over. Uh, it was just over nine hundred. Now it's back at eight ninety five. Well, in the one o'clock hour, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about uh, what is driving this and whether or not it is uh, just the beginning of a correction or maybe just a speed bump on the way to thirty thousand. Big court case up in the Bay Area that started today. Trade secret theft case. This is all about self driving cars. Waymo is the self-driving unit of Google parent Alphabet, and it claims that Uber stole its technology. Technology that is crucial to self-driving cars, Uber denies it. Well, what, they, what they're saying is that they targeted, that, that Uber and Travis Kalanick targeted and hired away from Waymo, one of their big key engineers that was the beginning of this self-driving program, a guy named Anthony Lewandowski. It wasn't just him, though. They say that he downloaded like 14,000 Waymo files shortly before he took off. Right. That's. That, I think that's where the theft that's is. That's going to be a problem. Absolutely. That's going to be quite an issue. Steve Wynn. Oh, boy. Told you about the trouble with Steve Wynn last week, or maybe it was even the week before that the Wall Street Journal came out with its report. It had interviewed more than 150 people that have worked at Wynn Resorts, and it looked like there was a pervasive culture of Steve Wynn forcing himself on employees. In this lawsuit, there is a um, there is a Mirage cocktail server who alleged that supervisors didn't do enough to protect women from the gamblers who are harassing them. 
She said these waitresses were basically sent to sexually accommodate high rollers at the resort's luxury villas through the 1990s. Another one. Oh, boy. Yeah, one one server uh, was bragging about her first grandchild in the early 1990s. And she was pressured into having sex with Steve Wynn because Steve Wynn said he wanted to experience sex with a grandmother. Next story. Well, the two, two, these two servers spoke to the Las Vegas Review-Journal way back in 1998. The year does not make it better. Well, I'm mean, just saying that they, they killed that story. We we're only hearing about it now, but uh, they, they killed that, that story. That is an interesting item on the bucket list, isn't it? I don't even know how to respond to you that. You don't have to well, respond. I mean, everybody's been to Vegas, and everybody knows uh, that one cocktail waitress, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what is she? Grandma. Do not do this anymore. Find a different line of They're employee. always really thin. Like yeah. they still smoke 14 packs yeah. a day. Uh, speaking of, side note, how come no one's talking about that uh, that commercial with the girl that needed a hamburger? Yeah, the Diet Coke commercial. Yes. Uh, was it, they never paid it off, did they? I mean, I think you said That was Oscar. rated one of the lowest... Uh, uh, ads for all this we one. could say w- none of us were focusing on the content of the ad no. everyone wanted to throw food at the at the television <laughs> yeah. screen like hopefully somewhere in the bottom of that diet coke can is a hot dog for right uh, or a hoagie <laughs> <laughs> anything uh cracker barrels opening up fans of cracker barrel old country store mm. lined up before sunrise today out in victorville to uh to get their cracker barrel on cracker barrel is the one with the rocking chairs on the porch right Yes. Yes. I believe I've been to one in Florida. Does that sound? That sounds correct. Okay. There are a lot of rocking chairs in Florida. One of those are in our family room at my house. A Cracker Barrel rocking chair? Yeah, apparently they sell them. Bought one in Tennessee. Interesting. Yeah. Those are good chairs. It's very nice. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of great uh, places to eat in the high desert, says Cindy Silvet, but Cracker Barrel has a special place in her heart. What does Cracker Barrel specialize in? Uh, is it a breakfast place? No, it's just like Southern comfort food. Southern oh, okay. comfort. They do breakfast, but they do lunch and dinner, too. I bet you they do a mac and cheese that would punch somebody in the face. They I do. bet they do a, a biscuits and gravy that you'd uh, punch a grandmother in the face for. A grandma cocktail waitress. Punch her right in her ass. <laughs> okay, stop it right there, please. For the love of God uh, and all that is holy. Not that this is important, but the Dow is down 1,500 and a half. Uh, all right. So if you're Paul Simon. Oh, boy. Man walks down the street. <laughs> he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle now? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I need that shot at redemption. Don't want to be a cartoon. Don't want to end up a cartoon. God damn it. In a cartoon graveyard. Always that line. It I know. Gets me. It gets Every you. single time that's we do why, that. That's why when you sing it in the office, you go, I'm on a cartoon <laughs> in a cartoon graveyard. I do do that. Uh, Paul Simon says that his upcoming tour, 29 concerts across North America and Europe, will be his last. No, 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 no. 76 years old. Says he's taken time away from touring to spend with his wife and family. So he, uh, I guess he lost a close friend recently. This just in, nobody's retiring. <laughs> 1,500. Yeah. 
Hey, it's still time to recover. They got another 55 zero minutes left in training. So we've got a update on a 1981 death. And there's some people in Hollywood that have some explaining to do. We're talking about Natalie Wood and the reopening of the Natalie Wood death case. Corbin Carson's going to join us. L.A. Sheriff's officers uh, had some new information they passed on this morning. Corbin will have all the latest. Gary and Shannon will continue. What do you Shannon. What are you eating? It smells delicious. Is that uh, your That's some of my pork? leftovers, yes. That's mm. portion a of, portion of pulled pork. Um, and then various charcuterie plate things that didn't get eaten. There's like one walnut, two cashews, <laughs> one grooved cheese. I did my in. best on that bowl of bugles. <laughs> Both you and uh, Oscar's wife go, <gasps> Is are those bugles? Yeah, because... You just don't see bugles a lot. I didn't know that was a thing. I don't I've, think I've ever in my life eaten a bugle. I have breaking news from late November. Get it. Uh, what? Detroit Lions hire Patriots defensive coordinator as coach. Matt Patricia? Yeah. Or kept secret. He's the one who was a caveman last night, right? Mm-hmm. He looked like uh, Captain Caveman. Yeah. Okay. Like Blake plus like 140 pounds. 200 pounds. He's a big guy. Is he? Matt Patricia's a big fella. You think he's? You think he's? Well, I think Blake's about 110. No. And if you Blake's about a little more than that, it's past Blake, former Blake, because he's a hairy man. But anyways, no, I'm 180. Let's get back on point. Get to get back on point. Thank Excellent. you. <laughs> uh, all right. Natalie Wood death investigation was reopened in 2011. Today the. L.A. County Sheriff's Department held a press conference saying, oh, they've got some new information. Our Corbin Carson was there and joins us now. Hey, guys. Yeah, it, it's been 36 years since mega movie star Natalie Wood's body was found floating off Catalina Island. And it looks like today the sheriffs, in a nutshell, want to uh, want to bring back uh, the attention to the public because they got so much response when they reopened the case in 2011. So the essential new news is that they'd like to let people know that they'd like to hear from them again to see if they can get any more information since uh, uh, they got so much when they reopened the case. Yeah, they said, I think it was hundreds or a hundred tips or whatever it was. Uh, Did any of them pan out? Have they shown excitement about any, any of the information that they got? Right. Yeah. What they're what they're telling us is that they have learned a lot about the timeline. Like they're really they're really trying to dig into uh, Robert Wagner's uh, uh, story of what happened that night. They've only talked to him. Police authorities have only talked to him since the since the one night. But since then, and when they reopened the case in 2011, he has become a person of interest. And 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 what they're discovering, uh, the uh, lieutenant who led the uh, conference today. Uh, what he what he was saying is that what they're discovering is some of the original testimony isn't exactly the way that uh, Wagner said. Their words. Interesting that this would take nearly four decades for them to get to the bottom of uh, witness testimony. Rarely lets gets better with with age. Uh, so they have new witnesses, or they're just digging deeper. How, how's it working? 
I think it's a little bit of both. But I, again, I think the the interesting part is is just listening to the detective. His, his name is uh, Lieutenant John Carina, and he's the homicide uh, lieutenant for, for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Just listening to him, if I could play some of that audio of what they think they've learned about uh, Mr. Wagner's story since then. You guys want to hear about that? Absolutely. All right, let's hear it. They're all talking in the salon. She went down below to the, bed, the stateroom, their bedroom. And next thing he knows, he goes, checks on her, and she's gone. And so he figures, oh, she must have gotten a dinghy, went to town in her pajamas, in her socks, in the middle of the night. For some reason, she's gonna, and it's raining now, she's going to go take the dinghy, which she never drives, probably doesn't know how to drive it, and take it into town. So again, they they haven't talked to you know uh, uh, Mr. Wagner since this happened in 1981, and um, I don't know if people remember the uh, the, the whole thing. Uh, you know, Robert Wagner's this huge star, Natalie Woods is huge star, and there's only four people on the boat. Uh, um, as I've heard you guys say, the most interesting part of an awesome part of the story is that Christopher Walken was uh, was on the boat along with Natalie Woods, Robert Wagner, and the captain Dennis Deverne, who was a young kid at the time. Um. It's it's certain what Corina uh, feels in, in that clip that you played. It sounds like they're trying to go public and saying, uh, we don't believe your story. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold water that she would take the dinghy that she doesn't know how to drive. Although there were reports that she had driven it around that day. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it seems like right. he's publicly calling out Wagner. Hey, we think, you're, we think your story is crap. So come talk to us. Come tell us what you know. Right, right, and here's what here's what's interesting. The second part of that is is listening to the captain Deverne's new story. His testimony over the years has uh, reportedly also changed. But listen to how he characterizes what Robert Wagner did right after Natalie Woods was missing. When De, when Deverne suggests, hey, we should turn on the, the light to look for her, he says, no, no, no. Instead of saying, yeah, let's look for her, no, 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 don't turn on the light on. Well, he says we should call somebody. No, 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 let's wait. And he's on a boat himself. He can unhook his own boat and go look for her. He doesn't even do that. Instead, he takes the Vern up to the top of the boat, starts plying him with alcohol for the next hour and a half, getting him drunk while they wait around see what happens. So I, I would think that leads exactly to what you're saying, that uh, it sounds like they're calling him out. But here's what's interesting also is that they cannot force... Uh, Robert Wagner to talk. He's just a person of interest. And when when we asked, hey, are, are you able to compel him to talk? And they're like, no, this is America. He, you know, it's it is his right to not talk. And um, and so now I, I, maybe it is a, a trying to get him to come forward on his own. I just don't know if this is going to be enough pressure to ever force him to do that. Uh, and and the Christopher Walken thing is weird too because he doesn't talk about this. He never really says anything publicly. I think the only public quote he made was when he did an interview with Playboy magazine in the late 90s, and he gave out his scenario of what he thought had happened. And and one of the problems we're going to run into, and they've probably been running into it since 1981, is the amount of alcohol consumed by all the parties mm-hmm. cons- considered. No kidding. And they did say they 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 said uh, Robert uh, or excuse me Christopher Walken, uh, the sheriff's department says he was asleep when this was going on. That that Captain Deverne confirmed that Robert Wagner was asleep because he was going to look for her to see if anyone knew and confirmed that. But um, now in the last point here, that's that's really interesting. Straightforward. We asked him, hey, so have you found anything that means that you can step this up from a a a suspicious death, which it is currently? to a homicide investigation and or are you able to ever with what you know now able to link this directly to robert wagner in a word no 
They said they do not have enough at this point to either call this anything more than a suspicious death or to uh, uh, to name him as a suspect, which is clearly different than a person of interest. Interesting. All right. Corbin, thank you. My pleasure. Corbin Carson there with the latest on this uh, news conference that was held today about the Natalie Wood case from 1981. Uh, We come back. We're going to get into the uh, story uh, of whether or not there is an actual immigration plan that's being worked on in Washington, D.C. There are talks that have to be, um, shall we say, talked about because Thursday we run the risk of yet another government shutdown. We'll get into it. Go live to Capitol Hill when we come back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, this is the uh, time of day when we get to jump into the swamp and talk about what is going on in Washington, D.C. We know that... uh, Congress has to try to get some sort of a deal together before February 8th. That's when the uh, latest continuing resolution runs out and we would potentially see another government shutdown. Surprised, actually, we haven't heard as much this time, three days away from a government shutdown, as we did last time. We were talking about it, it seemed like, for the entire week leading up to it. We'll get an update coming up on the Nunez memo. And it seems like Republicans are conceding a key footnote in that warrant that they used to investigate Carter Page. And I'm curious. I haven't seen much out of uh, out of Capitol Hill. What is the latest? Uh, I know the Democrats are trying to do their part to get their memo released as well, which is supposed to be a 10 page. I don't know if version is the right word. Adam Schiff. Rebuttal of what we saw from the Republicans on Friday. Yeah, Adam Schiff is doing his part to uh, release (laughs) the Democratic version of the memo through interviews. I did a number of interviews with reporters on Friday talking about how the Nunez memo cherry picks information and the line in it about McCabe's testimony saying that we would never gone forward with the warrant if it was not for the dossier information is not complete. Interesting. Well, one of the things that uh, that is going on in Congress today is the Senate is expected to get a look at a plan from uh, uh, from John McCain, Chris Coons to rework our immigration plans. Karen Travers is there uh, in Washington. What's going on, Karen? Well, it's another bipartisan proposal put on the table that seems to be pretty quickly uh, rejected by President Trump and the White House. And, you know, this is kind of the lay of the land right now. There's a lot of stuff floating out there, but I don't think anybody could point to one of these proposals to say that's the one that's probably going to get over the finish line. Because right now you see that the White House has been very rigid in their bullet points that the president would like to see. And they've been saying this for months. They haven't deviated from that. He wants the border wall. He wants $25 billion for it. Uh, He wants protection for the Dreamers under DACA. But then these two other visa programs that the White House would like to end, the visa lottery program and what they call chain migration, family-based migration. Those are their four bullet points. And everything we're seeing right now from lawmakers does some of it, but not enough 
for the president. So last week at his State of the Union, he called it a fair compromise and said Republicans and Democrats need to make concessions to make this work. There's no indication right now that the White House is even going to budge an inch from those four bullet points. And, you know, this is somebody who wrote the art of the deal. Perhaps it's a first offer on the table, but it's not clear where this would go, uh, where the White House might be able to concede some points. Yeah, a compromise isn't, uh, I want these four things, and I'm not going to budge at all on them. Um, And maybe it is just, you know, right now this is the posture of we want these four things, but we might be able to have some wiggle room on a couple of them. They're certainly not saying that publicly, though. And I think that's a complaint that you're hearing from lawmakers of before it was the president isn't telling us what he wants. Well, now he's told you what he wants, but now they're saying, well, he's not telling us what he'd be willing to give in on. Well, he's not going to do that right now. Well, what, then what do they gain? What do John mm-hmm. McCain and Chris Coons gain by introducing this in the Senate if the White House has already said it's a non-starter? Well, they hadn't officially, you know, they put this out and then we heard from the White House. Then we heard from the president uh, saying that he just didn't like that this didn't go far enough. So you could even argue, like, why even hit any of these bullet points um, and not reach all of the things that the president wants to see? Well, I think cause up on Capitol Hill, they're saying we could probably get this through the House or the Senate or both. So at that point, it's on the president. He's got to meet us somewhere. So I think you're going to start seeing some of these little proposals come together of like, look, we can get it done on our end, but that's what you told us to do. So now it's on you. Anything that doesn't involve a wall is a non-starter. I mean, that seems to be what he is most fixated on with with this package. And remember, just it feels like six months ago, but it was only two weeks ago when the conversations were with – with Chuck Schumer about the wall and the back and forth over whether or not Schumer conceded that, yeah, they would be willing to do some funding for it, but the president wanted the $25 billion. They say Schumer offered the $25 billion and then pulled it off the table. Schumer says he never did that. So once again, here we are. Everybody's kind of saying it's the other guy's fault, but the deadline is really quickly approaching, and everybody's getting nervous. Well, it's not the February 8th, but that March 5th deadline of when the program would officially wind down based on President Trump's self-imposed deadline. So if that's the deadline for uh, for DACA, for the dream, mm-hmm. for the dreamers to figure out or get figured out for them what's going to happen to them, uh, what impact, if any, does the February 8th deadline have on this discussion about immigration reform? Because everybody was trying to give another, you know, okay, if we can once if we can keep the government open, we're going to fund the government for a couple more weeks, you know, once they ended that shutdown. If we can keep the government open past February 8th, we're going to have a more meaningful conversation about this and Mitch McConnell making the promise of bringing up some type of legislation before the March 5th deadline. I mean, when you actually look at from when the government reopened to getting to this February 8th point later this week, Congress has been out of town for almost all of it. So the idea that they've really been, you know, uh, you know, burning the midnight oil, working on a negotiation. Yeah, there's some work going on, but the Republicans left town for three days last week. It was a state of the union. There isn't a lot going on. So the reality was they were probably never going to reach a a big deal bipartisan agreement on DACA by February 8th. So now they just have to once again pass another continuing resolution, as we call them here, CR, keep the government lights on, then get down to business. Karen Travers, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, the 
the Nunez memo and uh, how things have changed over the course of, say, the 72 hours since we saw that memo released back on Friday. Looks like there could be a vote right as the show closes today as to whether the Democrats get to release their side of the story. We'll Edge talk- of my seat. That's we'll talk- where I am. We'll talk about Do you Edge think- of my seat. Just side note, yeah. that little plastic baggie full of vegetables you have does not counter what I did to my body yesterday. If right. You're asking. It doesn't. What was that, a mayonnaise surprise that you put on bread? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue <laughs> with Swamp Watch right after this. Climb the streets and I found my way over. You know I've been so lost in translation. Like people, people are loving to hate on Justin Timberlake. Washington Post put out an article. This is how Justin Timberlake lost the Super Bowl. L.A. Times had another one. It was fine. What did you expect him to do? Everybody hated that suit he was wearing. A suit was stupid. <laughs> and well, I, people were I like upset with the Prince tribute part of it. Yeah. I didn't I, really find a problem. I thought it was tasteful. I, yeah. It was tasteful, but I would have chosen a different song than I Would Die For You. Yeah. Uh, that was just because he died. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, as such I a good said song, yesterday, though. I like. That but he song. did say uh, Timberlake was on with Jimmy Fallon after the show, he did the Tonight Show from Minnesota, and he he was so excited about what he did, uh, specifically the Prince ver- you know the the tribute to Prince. He was so excited about and felt so honored by the family that he, they would allow him to use the the basic lyrics of the song. I mean they. That's why it, would, it sounded different. It's because he didn't like chop up part of the recording. Yeah, they got the he got the original master tapes for that stuff. Was able to use that to put together this whole, the the whole tribute. I thought the worst part was the sound quality. You just couldn't really hear him that well yeah. over everything. Are you saying my TV wasn't very good? Oscar hated the party. <laughs> oh, and the blackout. Oh yeah, like here on the West Coast when oh, that commercial yeah, yeah, came yeah. on and there was nothing there. Oh, I forgot and everybody about started that. freaking out. They're like, <laughs> everybody started oh, booing Gary. <laughs> you didn't pay your power bill. It's like I'm solar anyway. What? <laughs> and then you turned everything off and turned everything back on. And just those, to be safe, that 30 seconds that elapsed, it, it it started working again. We're like, yeah. oh, that was weird. And then I think it was uh, somebody else who saw on Twitter that it was at a West Coast thing or something. Anyway, it's probably the Russians. <laughs> probably. Well, this Nunez memo was all the talk of D.C. last week, and it has bled into this week. Um, Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, is trying to get out the Democratic rebuttal, 10-page rebuttal to the memo. This was rejected on a party-line vote last week, but today he's going to offer a motion to force another vote on declassifying their response during their committee meeting scheduled for 5 p.m. today. Well, we've already seen that... Republicans, including Devin Nunez himself, have come out and said, yeah, there's there's a little bit more to what we said than that would than appeared in that three and a half pages that we released on Friday. Specifically, whether or not the FBI told the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court that that dossier that they based some of their information or a lot of their a uh, lot of their warrant application on that they dis they didn't disclose that it was a political document that it was democratic national committee and the hillary for uh, for president campaign that actually ended up 
paying for it. One of the arguments over the weekend was the FBI gets information from a lot of people. They get information from drug cartels. They get information from mobsters, gangsters in, in ongoing investigations. It's funny now that they can't get information from Democrats was the argument. <laughs> well, what was what I found finally refreshing, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'll use it anyway. Devin Nunez, Trey Gowdy, they said, yeah, what we didn't include in our memo was the fact that the FBI did tell the court it was a political document. They did a footnote. They had a footnote to the whole thing in their application that said, oh, and by the way, it was paid for by Hillary Clinton uh, for president and the Democratic National Committee. Now, the way Trey Gowdy describes that footnote, though, is he says he read the whole thing, uh, which only shows that he knows what's in there and said all they had to do was say in very basic, simple language, this was paid for by the DNC, by the campaign. And they went through this very convoluted discussion about where it came from uh, without, you know, without being as simple as they possibly could for, to the court. But again, it's not that the political document or the political nature of the document automatically means that the stuff in it wasn't true. Right. They've just got to corroborate it with somebody. Then the allegation that they corroborated it by using a Yahoo News article where where Christopher Steele was the source for the Yahoo News article. I mean, this you know, circular sourcing on all of this is a bad, bad idea. But that's why the Democrats want their version is so that they can explain all of that stuff and why it is that they had those conclusions. So if the vote happens, if it passes today, uh, this Democratic 10-page rebuttal goes to the Justice Department, and then Trump would have uh, five days or whatever it is to block it. And Nunez claimed that he is willing to release the Democratic memo after it, you take out the classified information. And then yesterday, White House official was on CBS and said that their position, uh, position is, if it's voted out, we'll consider it. I don't think there's... They're, they release it. I don't think there's not like a feverish cry for them to to release it. The White House, uh, no, they want to control the message. They and do want to control the That's how they're message. able to do it. But I wonder if there's a, a belief that the even just the timing of it, because the Republican memo, memo came out first, that it has more credibility than the Democratic one. I mean, if if the president opposes the release of the memo. The House Intelligence Committee can actually refer this to the full House of Representatives. They could vote to overrule him on yeah. this and then release it publicly. Chuck Schumer sent the president an open letter yesterday saying, I believe it is a matter of fundamental fairness that the American people be allowed to see both sides of the argument, make their own judgments. A refusal to release the Schiff memo will confirm the American people's worst fears that the release of the Nunez memo was only intended to undermine Bob Mueller's investigation. Wow. Well, uh, midterms are coming up in a couple of months, and more than 40 House Republican incumbents were outraised in the final quarter of last year by one or even multiple Democratic opponents, depending on where they are running, according to the latest round of fundraising numbers. Uh, at, at, of that group, more than a dozen have less cash on hand than their Democratic challengers. So they are having a problem raising money for these midterm elections. And as we've seen, some very high-profile Republicans have said they're just – they're taking this opportunity to pursue other interests, mm -hmm. like the, lobby firms, right. like going across the street and making make ten times as much money yeah. and ride out the political storm. Uh, a flood of Democratic money was pouring into House races around the country, uh, partly by small dollar online contributions. 
A lot of those came in opposition to the president himself. A lot of Democrats were using things that the president would say as fodder uh, fuel, I guess, for fundraising. Uh, And it has been working is what it looks like. All right. We come back. We're going to jump into what's going on on Wall Street, uh, give it an opportunity to close here and see if we can get some uh, preliminary numbers. But the Dow right now is down over a thousand points. Uh, about a 4% loss. It was even worse, but we'll see if there's some last-minute stuff going on before uh, before they close it up per day. And what it all means, why it's not time to panic or realize that you're never going to retire. It's a, it's a buying opportunity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Next on Gary and Shannon.